So many of you know that uh, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee, was born and raised in Memphis. My father served a church there for 35 years. And I just want you to know as we begin this sermon that Memphis has been on my heart and mind a lot this week. Um, All of you probably know what happened a week ago Friday with Liza Fletcher, um, 34-year-old mother taught at St. Mary's, was out running early in the morning, actually just a few blocks from where I grew up. I grew up on Central Avenue across the street from Second Prez, and, um, and, and she was abducted about 4.15, um, forced into a car. Uh, they actually got it on video, thankfully. Um, and, and most of you, if you follow the news, you know uh, the rest of the story. Uh, they found her on, on, on Monday. Um, you know, it shouldn't be this way. Uh, you should be able to go out for a run and be safe and be able to come back uh, in any town. Um, innocent lives should not be taken for absolutely no reason. Um, and so it's just heartbreaking. But I believe that Liza's legacy will live on in all of us if we can live our lives the way she did teaching, inspiring. Uh, being a light to other people. And I believe that the only way that you drive out darkness in the world is you just shine the light brighter. And that's what we're called to do. Now, if that wasn't enough, then if you follow the news this week, you know something else happened in Memphis Wednesday night when a 19-year-old decided to drive around Midtown Memphis randomly shooting people uh, and posting videos of it on Facebook while he did it. And four people were killed and three people were injured. And so a town that had already suffered just incredible heartache and pain and hurt then had to endure that on top of Liza's situation. But again, I would say that the only way that you can drive out darkness is to shine the light brighter. And that's what we're called to do. Shine the light brighter and let's keep Liza's family, her husband, her two boys, and the church family, Second Presbyterian, let's keep them in our thoughts and our prayers. This fall, we're studying the parables of Jesus in Luke's gospel. And today we have a tough one that's called the parable of the rich fool. Uh, Jesus's parables constitute roughly one third of the gospels when you put them all together. And what you find is that many of his parables have to do with money and possessions. Why? Well, it's actually fairly simple. Jesus was aware that this is one of the most challenging topics that all of us deal with in our lives. And no, he wasn't trying to raise money for the church. I always tell you the church needs your money. I make no apologies about that. We can't do what we do here without your support. But Jesus didn't have a church. He wasn't trying to raise money or a budget for the church. He was teaching about a subject that every single one of us has to deal with on a regular basis, and that is money and possessions. And even in the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? He says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Luke tells us this story. A man comes up and he asked Jesus to arbitrate a family dispute, a squabble. There was a fight going on between two brothers over the family inheritance and Jesus refuses to get involved, but he uses this as a teaching moment. He tells the man this, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he gives a parable. 
A rich man had a land that produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, well, what should I do? Because I have no place to store these crops. So he decided to tear down the barns and build larger ones where he could store all of the grain and the goods. And then he says to himself, soul, I now have ample goods laid up for many years to come. I can relax, I can eat, I can drink, and I can be merry. But God says to him, you fool, this very night, your life is being demanded of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Let me repeat that verse, the verse Pharaoh read last. So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. You know, in over 17 years of uh, ordained ministry, I have done hundreds of weddings. I did one last night right here in the sanctuary. I have one next weekend. And um, that's actually one of the things that I love. <laughs> it does take up your whole weekend, but I love working with couples. Uh, I love doing the premarital counseling. When I first came here, I was 27 and they were like, what do you know about marriage? I wasn't married. And I said, I don't know, I've read some books. Well, now I've got 13 years of uh, experience. Uh, not perfect, right, Megan? But I can at least talk about what I've learned and what I've done wrong. But when I meet with these couples, there's always five things that we cover, that I make sure we cover. The first is faith, and that is, what role do you see faith playing, not just in your wedding, but in your marriage? Because a lot of people invite God to their wedding, but they forget to invite God to their marriage. The second thing we talk about is family. Tell me about your family of origin. Tell me what you've learned from your parents for better or worse. Um, and, and then tell me, do you wanna have children and how long do you wanna wait before you start trying to have children? And, and what's that gonna look like in your life when you have a family? And we talk about friends. Do you have good friends? Good guy friends, girlfriends, couple friends? Uh, because I think surrounding yourself with good people that, that, that inspire you and, and pull you up is a really big deal. Career, location, do you like Nashville? Do you like what you're doing? Are you gonna stay in Nashville? It's weird when somebody's like, oh, we're definitely moving back to Alabama well, when we have children and the husband's like, whoa, 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 what? We're gonna do what? <laughs> but we get to the fifth topic of the, what I call the big five. And that topic is money. And money is the number one subject in marriage that often leads to problems, why? Because it is tied to everything else. It's tied to communication and expectations and lifestyle and vacations and houses and cars. And, and so what many people find is that money can become the root source of so many problems and stresses and disagreements. It's why a guy like Dave Ramsey has built an empire down in Cool Springs with Financial Peace University and all the other things associated with it because people need help when it comes to money and planning. Children will grow up heavily influenced, for better or worse, by the way that their parents talk about and deal with money. The way we spend our money and our time says more about our priorities than anything else. Money makes a great servant in life, but it makes a terrible master. Paul writes to Timothy, money is the root of all evil. Sorry, the love of money is the root of all evil. Let me get that right. There's a difference. Our culture, has now managed to convince lots of people that somehow our net worth dictates our self-worth, which is not true because there are lots of people who are very wealthy, but they are morally bankrupt. 
But isn't it funny that whenever we start talking about money, even right now, everybody in the church starts squirming a little bit. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. And my guess is it was uncomfortable back in first century Palestine when Jesus was talking about it himself. What message is he trying to convey to us through the parable of the rich fool? The first one I think is this. Selfishness and greed is real. Jesus says, take care, be on guard against all types of greed. Why is greed real? It's real because as human beings, we have a tendency to be selfish. Fear causes us to keep more for ourselves than we really need. And another problem with greed is that we never see it in the mirror. It's always somebody else who's greedy, not us, it's them. The rich man in this parable can't see beyond himself. He's only concerned with what he can do to store up his grain and his possessions. It's about him. Just look at how many times he says, I, me, my, I have no place to store my crops. I will do this. I will build larger barns. I will store my grain. His attitude is selfish. He's only concerned about himself. Instead of trying to find happiness by giving things away and serving other people, he tries to find happiness by hoarding and keeping everything to himself. You know, he's probably thinking to himself, who knows when times will get bad and I'm gonna need all this stuff. But aren't we all guilty of this to some degree? Don't we all find ourselves being greedy and self-centered at times? Christianity is not a religion of I and me. It's a religion of we and us. And so when we become too focused on the I and the me, we forget that Christ is calling us to look out for each other, to share with each other, to serve each other. That's what faith is about. The second thing I think Jesus wants us to see in this parable is, is, is what he says. He says, your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Anything wrong with possessions? No, <laughs> they're fun. We like them, but your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Well, wait a minute, I thought it did. I, I thought the rules of the game were this. Everybody work as hard as you can and make as much as you can and invest as much as you can so that you can have more stuff than your friends. Isn't that the game? No, that's one game that people play, but guess what? Nobody ever wins that game because there's always somebody who has more than you, especially in a town like Nashville right now. You met these Californians? <laughs> they got a lot and they'll tell you that. We were in Suwannee last weekend uh, for Labor Day, a little a cabin up there and we like to get away and I was driving Clayton and one of his friends in the back seat and like 10 year old boys often do, they started to rattle off a list of the world's richest people. He took my phone, he Googled it, and, and I don't know why they think this is great, but here they go. Elon Musk, $219 billion. Uh, Jeff Bezos, $171 billion. And one of them pipes up and says, yeah, well, the only reason Bezos isn't number one is because he had a divorce, had to give his wife 150 billion. So I kind of turned around like, what are you guys doing, right? And then I thought, wait a minute, 
Just remember, <laughs> um, having all the money in the world, you still have problems. Your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. If it did, then the people with the most stuff would be the happiest, right? But oftentimes they're not. Think about this, back in 1928, almost 100 years ago, there was this meeting that took place in Chicago. Um, it was the world's wealthiest and most successful financiers met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel. And, and here's the list. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, uh, the greatest weak speculator, Arthur Kooten, New York Stock Exchange president, Richard Whitney, member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, the greatest bear on Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Frazier, the head of the world's greatest monopoly, Ivar Druger, all of these men were incredibly wealthy and they met together in Chicago. Fast forward 25 years, here's what had happened to all of them. Charles Schwab lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and he basically died broke. Arthur Kooten, the weak speculator, died overseas insolvent. Richard Whitney went to Sing Sing prison. The, the president's cabinet member, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could go home and die at his house. The greatest bear on Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, committed suicide. The greatest, or the president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Fraser, committed suicide. The head of the world's greatest monopoly, Ivar Druger, committed suicide. All of these men had learned how to make lots of money, but not one of them ever really truly learned how to live. Jesus says your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. There's nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing wrong with nice stuff. It's just not what life is about. It's about faith. It's about family. It's about relationships. It's about service. Lastly, this morning, I think Jesus is trying to tell us that all of us, every single one of us must find a balance in life between what we keep for ourselves and for our families and what we give to others. And everybody has to find that balance for themselves. I can't tell you what that balance is. You can't tell me what that balance is. Nobody can find it for yourself. You have to do it. But again, in verse 21, Jesus says, so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. I don't take this parable as anti-capitalism. Take this parable as go and work hard and be successful, but for goodness sakes, when you do, help some other people along the way. It's your choice. I'll close with this story. Some of you have heard me tell it over the years and I think it really fits this message. I'll leave you with this, but the story is about a, a man who was a Harvard MBA, lived in New York. Every year he went down to Mexico for two weeks to this small fishing village with his family to just relax and, 
and, and just kind of unwind. The problem with guys that work on Wall Street is they're not really good at unwinding. So one day he's out uh, looking over the ocean. He sees a small boat coming back in with this, this local fisherman who had caught you know, several large yellowfin tuna. All the boats were still out and this guy was coming in at lunch and so he was confused. And so, so he went down and talked to this guy and he said, well, how long did it take you to catch those fish? And, and the man said, well, not very long, you know, maybe a couple hours. Well, is there something wrong with your boat? No, my boat's working great. And, well, why did you come in so early? He said, well, I got plenty of fish, some for my family. I'll sell a few to the local restaurants and, you know, and I'm good, but it's not even lunchtime yet. What are you, what are you doing? The American said, why, why, why are you coming in so early? And he said, tell me your schedule. The guy said, well, I, you know, I kind of sleep in in the morning uh, and I, you know, I, 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 I go out late morning, I fish kind of just for the pleasure of fishing in the afternoon. I go back home, I play with my children, I take a nap with my wife in the evenings, I have dinner with my family and then I just go into town, I drink some wine and I play guitar with my amigos. That's my life. And the American scoffed at the guy and said, whoa, man, that's lame. Let me tell you what you're going to do. Okay, he said, I got an MBA from Harvard. I can fix you. Fix me? Yeah, I'm going to fix you. So here's what you got to do. You got to go out there early and you got you to stay out there all day and catch more fish. And then when you catch more fish, you can go and buy a second boat and get some other guys to fish for you. And they'll go out all day and they'll catch even more fish. All right, the man said. He said, then after that, then you can get a fleet of boats and go to Mexico City and you'll have a growing fishing company where you'll be making all kinds of money. All right, the fisherman said, then, then, then what will I do? Well, from Mexico City, then you can move to the west coast of the United States to California and you got your fleet of boats and they'll be going out and, and catching fish in the Pacific Ocean and you'll make even more money. All right, well, then, then what will I do? And, and the guy said, well, um, then after that, this is the best part. You can move to where I live, New York City, and you can list your fishing company on the New York Stock Exchange and you can make it an IPO, public option, and you'll make millions and millions and millions of dollars. And the guy said, wow, millions and millions of dollars. Yep, more money than you could ever spend, more money than you'd know what to do with. Wow, the man said. Well, then what would I do after that? And uh, an American at that point was kind of stumped and, and he, he looked at the guy and he goes, well, then you could move to this coastal village and you could sleep in in the morning and you could fish a little bit in the morning and then go home and be with your family and take a nap and, and, and have dinner with your wife and family and then you go and, and stroll, wait a minute. So many times in life, we're all about bigger and better and more and more. And sometimes we miss the blessings that are right before us. Think about that. Amen.